0: you would please take your Bibles and turn in them to Matthew chapter 7 to Matthew's gospel chapter 7 as we continue on in our series through the gospel of Matthew and are nearing the end of an extended series in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 We'll be this morning in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. Uh, I have uh, had a lot of travel uh, concentrated in a a very narrow space of time. I've been away the last two Sundays, and that feels more and more unnatural to be away from this congregation, and um, I don't know about you, I I think um, often uh, I can become discouraged or disillusioned by so much in the Christian church uh, globally, in our own nation, uh, so much that seems superficial and that seems shallow and even nominal. Uh, I had uh, that sense of discouragement rebuked over the last couple of weeks, uh, having the opportunity, even the privilege of being away uh, with three or four or five different church groups, uh, my wife and I, well, I was with a group of young men two weeks ago at the Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., worshiping with those brothers and sisters up there. My wife and I were able to be in Weymouth, Massachusetts, with Dave and Stacey Como and their church there. Uh, the work there appears to be thriving, very encouraged by what God is doing there. Uh, just a few days ago, I was with uh, Christ's Covenant Church in Raleigh at a men's conference. I was with what I hope will be a new church plant in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, yesterday, Uh, With Bobby Jamison, known to some of you. He's coming a little bit later on this year uh, to preach for us. We hope to support that work. Somewhere in there, I was in Alabama with a a church there as well in the Huntsville, Decatur area. And it was so good for my soul to see God's people, ordinary people, living faithfully, on mission, uh, seeking (laughs) to spread the gospel in these different communities. God is at work everywhere, uh, and his people are found everywhere. And I just want to encourage our congregation against the backdrop of what might be sometimes discouraging expressions of Christianity, even our own town, our own context. God is working in his church and building his church, and they are faithful believers all over the world and all over these various places across our nation, and I bless God for that. Over this morning in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23, please follow along as I read. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray together once more before considering the word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these weeks, even months we've been able to spend considering uh, this section of teaching from our Lord that we call the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for these months together. We are nearing the end of our consideration of this sermon. And as we come near the end, we read very sobering words. We pray, Father, that the weight of these words would rest upon us as you intend them to. We pray they would have the effect upon us that you intend them to have. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth. We pray that you, Father, by your Holy Spirit, would apply the word in ways that I could not know how from my vantage point here on this platform this morning. Bring it home to our hearts. We pray any here who need to experience conviction today, do your work through your word. For those who need to experience comfort and encouragement, we pray that they would find it even in this passage and in our observance of communion after the sermon. Please, Lord, work for all your people and those who are not yet your people through the ministry of the word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If things go as I have them planned, this will be the last of two sermons in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, There will be one more sermon, God willing, next week Uh, in this series of sermons. I think it's been several months, actually, as I reflect back that we've been in this series on the Sermon on the Mount within the larger series in the Gospel of Matthew. I just want to remind you where we've been in this series and what Jesus has been doing uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We have said that the Sermon on the Mount is not primarily about how someone becomes a Christian or how someone enters the kingdom of heaven, but how those who have entered the kingdom of heaven through new birth and through salvation in Jesus Christ, how they then walk and how they live as citizens of the kingdom, as followers of Christ, as disciples of the Lord Jesus. This is very much for us. We here who have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, who are part of his heavenly kingdom, who, father, who follow him, and have God as our father, this is for us to know how we might live. Jesus is showing to us the path of righteousness, the way of the kingdom. He's showing us his commandments and his laws and instructing us in how we ourselves ought to live. And so he begins in that section we know as the Beatitudes by commending the way of righteousness and the blessed life, the life that is met with God's approval, uh, that is met with the smile of the Lord Jesus. Uh, then Jesus, after that sort of preamble, positions himself in relation to the Old Testament, the authoritative scriptures. Uh, Himself in relationship to the law and the prophets. And what he makes clear is that his ministry is not going to be an anti-law ministry. Uh, No, he has commandments for his people, and he comes in continuity with the pronouncements of the Old Testament and the laws that were given, and he comes actually now as the great lawgiver, as the prophet and the lawgiver greater than Moses, who is especially qualified not only to give the definitive interpretation of the law, But also himself, he embodies all authority to give the law himself, not having to cite any other rabbi or any other prophet. Uh, He has to cite only himself and his divine fiat as the great prophet and the great lawgiver. And what does Jesus then do? He gives us his law, and he gives the proper interpretation of the law, and he shows us how to live. He talks to us about anger and murder and lust and adultery and oaths and swearing and on down the line. He gives us instruction how we as the Lord's people Ought to live. He talks to us about true piety and false piety, true worship and false worship. Uh, He says many times that we're not to be like the scribes and Pharisees of those days, uh, those who were known for a performative kind of religion but did not have the heart of real knowledge of God within them. And he says, we are to know God in truth and we are to go to our Father who is in secret and we are to seek to pray to Him and to give before His face and to fast before His face. All of our piety is live in communion with God. It's not a matter of public performance, but being in truth in our hearts, the children of God and living lives devoted to Him. Uh, last week, our brother David Ray uh, preached from Matthew 7 verses 13 through 14 where there uh, we were told about the narrow way that leads to eternal life and the broad way that leads to destruction what happens is that in chapter 7 verse 12 I think Jesus is giving kind of a concluding summary of the sermon in some ways he says he gives what we often refer to as the golden rule And there he says that we are to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, that this summarizes the law and the prophets. He again returns to that theme of the law and the prophets. And it seems as though his remarks from 13 on are kind of winding down the sermon, kind of giving uh, context and conclusion to the whole matter. So when he says that we're to follow the narrow way, that we're to walk through the narrow gate, in some ways he's saying you're to take the path I've given to you. You're to live in this way. People in the world and even among religious hypocrites, they're going to be on the broad way that leads to destruction, but I'm giving to you the way of life, the way of righteousness. This is a narrow way, and you must strive to enter in by it. What I have been telling you, the life I am calling you to live, live it with all your heart and pursue it. Pursue after it. Seek to grasp it and to lay hold of it. Don't go after the broad way that leads to destruction. And having said that, then, we have the statements in our passage this morning Uh, the question is sort of assumed, and Jesus decides to answer it, well, what about those who teach a false way? What about those who do not teach in accord with this teaching of the Lord? What about false prophets? What should we make of them? How should we respond to them? And he threads the needle even further. He says, what about false professors? That is the title of my message this morning, False Prophets, False Professors, which we'll consider in verses 15 through 23. Jesus is going to tell us what is the hallmark of true discipleship? And I'm not going to wait to give that to you. I'm just going to tell you right now, it is obedience to Christ's words. It's obedience to his commands. Obedience as it's been outlined in this Sermon on the Mount. What we're going to see is the false prophets, they themselves are not obedient and they don't teach people the path of righteousness in the narrow way. And false professors, those who profess to have a connection to the Lord, do not walk in that way. That's kind of a summary of the message this morning. Let's consider under two main headings. Jesus' words regarding false prophets and Jesus' words regarding false professors. Consider with me first Jesus' words regarding false prophets. Now look with me at verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus' words regarding false prophets. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them, the false prophets, by their fruits. I'd like you to observe just three things in these verses. First of all, observe the command itself in this passage. The command is what? To beware To beware. Uh, Children here this morning, I wonder if you've ever seen this in your neighborhood. We have this, uh, our next door neighbor has a sign on their fence. It says, beware of the dog. Uh, Why do they put that sign up there? Well, it's meant to be a warning to people who would intrude or burglars who might hop over the fence that there's a dog in this yard, and if you're not careful, he's going to attack you. Beware of the dog, right? This is the verb that you see here, beware. Be on alert for, take care of, look out for beware false prophets. Who are the false prophets? False prophets would have been those who claimed to represent God to the people and those who professed to speak for him and to represent his will to the covenant community. There were many false prophets in the Old Testament. At times, the Lord expressly rebukes them. There were false prophets in Jesus' dead. And I think we can say there are false prophets still today. Now, I don't believe when we hear Jesus say, beware of the false prophets, we should immediately think in our minds of, you know, preachers today who are just not that good at preaching or preachers today who get some things wrong. Nor should we even think in the first instance, at least, of kind of contemporary preachers at all. Jesus is thinking about those who profess to be prophets, to have direct contact with God, to represent him to the people and to speak in his stead. Now, that said, I do think in a broader sense, we can apply Jesus' words here about the false prophets to what we might call false teachers today, Uh, those who may not make all the same claims as some of the false prophets in Jesus' day, but nonetheless are ravenous wolves and misrepresent the truth of God's word. So I think it's legitimate to apply the text to false teachers as we think of them Today. Now, shortly, we'll see how to discern who the false prophets are. It's going to be by their fruits. But I want to emphasize here on the front end, it's important to recognize it's not their fruits that make them false prophets. It's their fruits that prove, indicate that they are false prophets. But it's not their fruits that make them false prophets in the first place. Rather, they are false prophets because of what they actually teach. It could be in their interpretation of prior revelation. There might have been false prophets in Jesus' day misrepresenting the Old Testament scriptures and uh, falsely representing what God had said. Or it could be in their false claim to provide new revelation outside of what the scriptures teach. What makes them false is their misrepresentation or their distortion of the truth. And chiefly in the context of this Sermon on the Mount and the words of Jesus in this sermon... What makes them false is that they don't teach the true way of the kingdom. They don't, treat the true, they don't teach the true way of righteousness as Jesus is teaching it from this text. They're not teaching the narrow way. The false prophets are preachers of the broad way that leads to destruction, or preachers of a kind of Old Testament formalism or legalism, devoid of love and faith and regeneration and any power they are not teachers of the blessed way the narrow way the way as it's taught in Jesus all those who are true prophets of God both past and present will teach in conformity with what the great prophet Jesus Christ has taught us about the kingdom of God in this sermon it's one of the ways you can tell who a true prophet or a true preacher is he prophesies preaches in accord with what Jesus himself has told us So these are the false prophets, those who claim to represent God and who fail to teach in line with Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. And Jesus says to his disciples what? Beware. Look out for them. Be on alert. That's a command. It's an imperative. We are called to be on alert against false prophets. Now, I don't think Jesus here is saying that all of us, those disciples there, maybe us today, that we need to start discernment blogs and we need to... Uh, be heresy hunters and we need to have some sort of platform to inform you know the whole world in general and no one in particular that this or that preacher in Chicago is a false prophet I I don't think he's trying to give rise to that kind of cottage industry we see among some naive and somewhat obsessed um, professing Christians think their service to the world is going to be to try to mark on a map all the false prophets in the world and tell us who they are and constantly try to expose their ministries or something like that i don't think that's the idea here in this passage i think more simply what jesus is telling his disciples is there are going to be false prophets who come along your path Uh, jesus has not yet told them about his death but he's going to die he's going to rise again there will be false christ false prophets people who are going to say they represent the lord here thither and yon he says don't listen to him You're going to have false men, ravenous wolves who come in and seek to endure your faith and seek to teach a false way. They're going to come across your path and you need to be on the lookout for them. I think there's an application for us today. There will be false teachers that come across our path. We don't need to go stir up trouble in other places, but we will come into contact, most likely, with those who teach falsely, those who are like these false prophets, and we should be on alert for it. We should be wary against it. Second observation, I'd have you notice in these verses about the false prophets. Notice here, Jesus is warning against false prophets who appear a certain way. He's warning against false prophets who appear a certain way. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The false prophets that came to the disciples or that would come to the disciples would not immediately appear like false prophets. These false prophets the disciples were to be on alert against. They did not announce their coming by their words or their manner or their appearance. Uh, False prophets don't, as a matter of habit, have false prophecy conferences or start a false prophecy journal or blog or Twitter account or X, whatever it's called now. Uh, False prophets don't wear name tags. Jesus says they will come in by stealth. False prophets will appear righteous. Now, don't think um, like the children's shows. Uh, if you are my age, you might remember, well, maybe a little bit younger than me, do you guys remember Dora the Explorer? Remember Dora the Explorer? And, and, and what you'd have in these scenes, you had a Swiper. Swiper was a fox and Swiper would steal things. And Swiper would appear in the scene and he'd be wearing literally like a little like, white shawl to look like a sheep. And of course, even four-year-olds can tell that swiper under the sheep's clothing and your job was to shout to the TV, Dora, look out, swipers coming or whatever. It's quite obvious. Don't think of that kind of thing here. Uh, No, they look like good men. They look like honest men. They look like godly men. When we read that they come in sheep's clothing, it's not going to be obvious. It's not going to be apparent. They can sneak in these ravenous wolves They can do so by stealth. They can do so by wearing sheep's clothing. He doesn't say you will know them by their name tag or you'll know them by the sinister look they give you or you'll know them by the air that they give off. No, Jesus says they're going to appear just like us. Jesus says don't be fooled. The the false prophets, though, are something different inwardly than they appear to be outwardly. Outwardly, they look like sheep. Inwardly, they're wolves. And through their teaching, they will destroy you. Jesus is saying you're going to need to be discerning. The false prophets will appear fair, though they are actually foul. We see this in our own day. People who are very skilled at faking it, uh, people who are studied in appearing a certain way, they know how to affect spirituality. AFFECT, to pretend at spirituality, to pretend at godliness. They were studied in kind of charisma and how to play that off with naive people. They're magnetic, they're smooth, they're urbane, they're slick. You remember the North Carolina state motto, S.A. Quam Videri, to be rather than to seem. These men know how to seem, though they are not in their hearts. They know how to appear. They know how to seem, and people can be led astray by them. But note, now this is important, if we're to understand exactly who Jesus has in the crosshairs here. Jesus says, these false prophets who appear in sheep's clothing, inwardly they are ravenous wolves, as in they're not Christians. They're wicked men. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, which means, if you've been listening to this sermon up to this point, and you've wondered if your less-than-competent preacher in another church was a false prophet Uh, he probably was not this is not talking about preachers who don't preach good it's not talking about pastors who aren't especially competent this is about wicked men this is about wolves who harm the flock who will do terror to the sheep this is about ravenous wolves that's who these men are though they might appear like sheep. Third observation under this first heading, Jesus then supplies a method for detecting false prophets. Look at verse 16 if you would. You will recognize them by what? By their fruits. Grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Obvious answer, no. Or figs gathered from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I think a cryptic reference to hell there. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He doesn't say you will know them by the way they give you the side glance. He doesn't say you'll know them by the air of craftiness they give off. You won't know them by their evident malice that's just sort of obvious and why can't everybody else see it. You won't know them by the way they announce their false motives or their erroneous teaching. No, you're going to have to stare at them for a little while. You're going to have to pay attention. You're going to have to look closely you'll have to look at more than just the presentation on the stage it won't be their appearance that tips you off jesus says you will know them by the fruit they bear what kind of fruit is growing on this tree and we know of course fruit takes time to grow some of you know that painfully you've been trying to go fruit in the tree in your yard or on a bush or something like that and it's not growing it takes forever to grow right fruit takes time to manifest You're going to have to watch. You're going to have to pay attention. You're going to have to inspect and investigate before the fruit is going to manifest itself. It's going to take time to discern who the false prophets are. Jesus says, you will know them by the fruit they bear. It will be the fruit, not the first impression. It will be what you see in them and what you see in their ministry upon closer inspection over time. Now, what fruit are you looking for? What fruit would these disciples be looking for? To my mind, the fruit Jesus speaks of can be one or both of two things. It could be, in the first instance, fruit in the man's own life. Like, how's he living? What's his character like? What fruit is he bearing as an individual man? Or it could be, secondly, fruit produced by the man's ministry in the lives of others. I see no reason in the text to limit it. I think both are in view. Fruit in the man's own life And fruit in the lives of those who come under his false teaching. Some of these false prophets, in the first place, will be exposed by the fruit that is born in their own lives over time. Over time, you begin to notice that all his actions seem to have self interest and self promotion in view. You'll notice he uses and manipulates people around him to improve his own situation and standing. He talks much and quite eloquently of spiritual things and of closeness with God but if you were to inspect his private life you would see little evidence of private devotion before the Lord the false prophet rarely makes personal sacrifices that cost him anything I remember talking to an older pastor friend of mine Uh, he had known a pastor who had walked away from the faith was living a double life and a lot of people were shocked by by this and and so was this brother as he was telling me this And he said, but you know what we all realized upon further review and further inspection? None of us could ever cite a single time the man had ever done something costly. Something that sacrificed anything. He could play the game, he could appear a certain way, but never did he sacrifice for Jesus. Or act in a virtuous way, in a way that would cost him. The false prophets might cut corners. You see them forsaking principles to placate others and to serve themselves. The false prophet is uncareful when it comes to the truth and uses words to deceive and manipulate. The false prophet may be controlling of others, maybe even abusive of others. These are the kinds of things that begin to manifest as fruit in the life of a false prophet upon closer inspection. Some of these false prophets are exposed by the fruit that is born in their own personal lives. Others, though, will be exposed, or maybe in addition, by the fruit that is born in the lives of those who sit under their teaching. What sort of fruit is born under the man's ministry, under the false prophet's ministry? The false prophet's teaching will begin to shape an unhealthy culture. His teaching may be invite sycophantic devotion to himself rather than pure-hearted obedience to God in some cases a cult of personality will grow up around the false teacher in others a carnal and worldly and lawless atmosphere will emerge in others still a spiritual pride and self-righteousness and legalism will mark the church or the movement things contrary to Christ's gospel and things contrary to Christ's teaching regarding righteousness and obedience will begin to emerge in those who are under this man's teaching. Whatever the fruit is in the man's ministry, it isn't the fruit Jesus has been talking about. The people that come under this false way, this broad way, under the influence of this false prophet, they don't begin to look like men and women marked by the Beatitudes. Uh, They don't begin to look like kingdom people. They don't look like followers of Jesus. No, all kinds of bad fruit is born in their lives because they are receiving nourishment from a bad source bad teacher a false way a broad man not from the tree of life and not from the Lord Jesus who gives us good fruit in some Jesus is saying don't be fooled by the outward appearance don't be taken in by the slick presentation don't be overwhelmed by the charisma and the charm don't be done in by the superficial spirituality and pretense of godliness study the fruit of the man's life and there you will discern if the man is a true prophet if he's one of God's ministers, a man who lives in integrity and piety and whose ministry produces the fruit of righteousness, or if his life is instead marked by superficiality in the things of God, a life devoid of any kind of serious sacrifice or commitment to Christ beyond that which would personally enrich himself and better his own circumstances. Before we move on now to the second heading about Jesus' words regarding false professors, let me just draw... A couple of points of application for us what do we do with this teaching from our lord about false prophets just a couple points of application for our church family number one brothers and sisters don't be naive when it comes to false prophets and false teachers don't be naive jesus is warning us don't be naive don't be shocked to discover that there really are false prophets and false teachers in the world. Rather, Jesus is saying, be on alert and recognize that you may encounter them and be discerning with respect to them. This is a call to spiritual discernment. Don't just believe every sincere-sounding voice. Don't believe everyone who comes to you in sheep's clothing. Look more carefully. Listen carefully. Study carefully. Beware. There are false Prophets out there. I'll just say, as a pastoral observation over the six, seven years we've been together, uh, I have heard from some of you uh, about how the apostasy or the exposure of uh, wicked men who were in the ministry at some point, either in your own personal life or maybe some big public figure that you followed, uh, how deeply you've been troubled uh, to see that exposure and to learn that someone that you trusted someone that you listened to proved to be so false and actually so full of error and that there was a time when you actually embraced the error and went along with the man in his falsehood. Well, that's painful and that's tragic and I'm sorry that that's been your experience but I want you to know the teaching of the Lord Jesus prepares us that that kind of thing can happen. It's not like where in the world did that come from? No, Jesus tells us candidly, frankly, There will be false prophets. There will be false teachers. There will be wolves that come to you in sheep's clothing. And his call in in love to us and in all due instruction to us says, beware, be on the lookout for them. Which means we all ourselves need to learn how to be discerning. We need to expect it's quite possible we can encounter false teachers in our own day. Jesus is telling us, don't be naive. Don't become gullible. Grow in wisdom and discernment and good judgment. Learn the way of Jesus so thoroughly in the word itself and bring yourself under sound teaching such that you will be able to discern truth from error when it comes. Uh, They say the best way, you know, like when you go to the, is it the bank or the store, and you give them maybe a $100 bill and they have a way of looking up at it at the light to kind of discern if it's a true bill. They say, apparently, if you want to know what a false bill looks like, you study a true bill over and over and over and over and over again. And that's how you know what a forgery looks like. It's like that with the Christian gospel. It's like that with the teaching of Jesus. Those who study the commands of our Lord, who know the Sermon on the Mount, who are familiar with the voice of the Good Shepherd, true prophet, the great high priest, the Lord, they won't easily go astray. They'll be so well-versed in the real thing, they will become discerning. We must all see in this command from our Lord the need to become mature in our thinking and discerning in our judgment. And if I may, just as a point of pastoral privilege, exhort the sisters among us at this point. Uh, I don't know that I need to give this exhortation, but I have been in certain Christian communities at times where I've heard sort of this kind of thing stated from a sister in Christ. Well, I don't really, I don't really do the Bible study or I don't, I don't really look into the theology. That's kind of my husband's job. He keeps us on the straight and narrow no sisters the commands to be discerning the commands to be mature uh, the commands to walk in the right way and to discern falsehood from error those commands are not given just to heads of households or to men or something like that they're given to all of God's people you yourself sisters you must be developing spiritual discernment that you might not be done in Uh, Paul warns about how Uh, there were women who were frivolous and who were foolish and were easily made prey for false teachers who were led astray don't be like that don't allow yourself to become gullible too many of God's people are gullible in our day with God's help through careful attention to his word through growth in the faith purpose I'm not going to allow myself to become a gullible Christian I will know the truth and discern the truth and live in light of the truth I will learn to detect error the goal here brothers and sisters is to train your spiritual olfactory nerves to smell out a rat to smell out a wolf to smell out error and you develop those nerves you develop those instincts by studying the truth second point of application very briefly judge public teachers by the fruit of their lives and the fruit their ministries produce It's not wrong to do that. Jesus is telling us to do that. You can make a judgment on a man's ministry based on the fruit in his life and the fruit that his ministry produces. Do not judge him by his dress. Do not judge him by his accent. Don't just judge him by whether or not he's handsome or sweet or charming or magnetic or charismatic or has an impressive educational background. Judge him on substance. Judge him on what he teaches. Judge him on the fruit that his life and ministry bears. These things will prove whether or not his ministry is truly of God, is truly of substance, or if it is false and suitable only to be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a word for our generation, brothers and sisters. We are way too easily impressed with charisma. Way too easily impressed with a guy who is loquacious and slick and knows how to put it together. We are a superficial Generation. We need to become discerning. We should not be done in. I know that some of so you listen to, uh, there was a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill was this church out in the Pacific Northwest led by a man named Mark Driscoll, who was a bit of a train wreck, that guy. And um, the podcast, I listened to all of it, uh, goes after Mark Driscoll as just this terrible guy. Maybe that's true. I do want to ask, though, what were the people doing? In, in our church, the elders are responsible to recommend elder candidates to you. I need to kind of use this language, but you recognize you create the market for the teaching in this church. Do you want the Bible? Do you want the truth? Do you want the Sermon on the Mount? Do you want the way of the kingdom? And will you demand nothing less? Require that of those who would fill this pulpit. By my best judgment, none of your elders are false prophets or false teachers. But false prophets do come in. Will the people be discerning? Will they know how to smell out error? What Jesus is telling us here, we should take this to heart. I'm to beware. I'm to be on alert. I'm to study the fruit of men's ministries and discern. Is this the real thing? Does he teach as Jesus would teach me? All right, second main heading, Jesus' words regarding false professors. I'll be a little shorter here. Jesus' words regarding false professors. Now, these are among, in my opinion, some of the most sobering words in all the Bible. And I don't want to do anything to detract from the sobriety we ought to feel as we hear these words. Jesus now threading the needle further. What about not just false prophets? Uh, what about the other side of the equation? Well, false False professors. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I think that is, they're identifying the Lord. I'm with the Lord. I know the Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them... I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, three observations, more briefly. Number one, just appreciate, there is such a thing as a false professor and a false disciple. There is such a thing as a false professor and a false disciple. Friends, the Bible again and again and again presents us with the reality that numerous people who profess to be Christians really are not Christians at all. If you teach that there are false professors, in fact, many of them, that many people profess to follow Christ and are not Christians, you're not some kind of narrow-minded or judgmental bigot who is pronouncing dictums over men's hearts. I mean, you're just acknowledging the plain teaching of God's word. Jesus has warned us in all candor, there will be many, many, who make a pretense at a relationship with me who never knew me and whom I never knew. Professing with your mouth, at least in our context, that you are a Christian is a very easy thing to do. It really costs you almost nothing. It's not especially costly to say, sure, I'm a Christian. I'll be a church member. I'll walk the aisle." Sign up for the thing. I'm, I'm a Christian, sure. Lots of people do it who have no real saving attachment to Christ and no real intention of following his commands at all. So I just want to say as a matter of observation based on this text, we should all have a category at least for a false professor. People who say they are Christians who really themselves are not. This is one of the reasons why, friends, we should be careful not to affirm every seemingly sincere profession of faith immediately and just give total absolute assurance you say you're a Christian great join the church today sign the book you're in you know the, the culture that very quickly oh we had 27 decisions today now written in the Lamb's book of life you don't know that lots of people are going to say they're Christians and in the heat of the moment get excited and do something and does it mean that they're Christians think of the parable of the soils only one of those soils was good soil a couple of other ones it kind of sprung up for a time and there was excitement and there was enthusiasm it looked promising and then one case the cares of the world choked them out and then the other one it was other things and it proved not to be the real deal Again, you're not narrow-minded if you just acknowledge there's a category in the Bible for a false professor. And we're not just going to immediately affirm everyone who might acknowledge that they are a Christian. Time will tell. A fruit will be born. We don't have to wonder very much over time. If you're a Christian, you'll begin to bear fruit of a Christian. If you're not, that will become evident. I just want to say as a point of application here for our church family, it is this idea, not primarily this text, but this general idea, it does inform sometimes how we receive professions of faith from folks who come to us we do not as our practice immediately affirm great we're going to baptize you and you're going to become a member but we usually try to take time especially with young people it's very common many of you here profess faith at like nine different stages throughout your childhood and you look back and say none of them are actually real it's not a bad thing to take some time and discern is this the real thing because there are false professors a lot of people are going to pretend at an attachment to jesus or maybe they think they're sincere but really they discover later that they're not there's nothing wrong with seeking to be discerning with respect to a profession of faith it's not self-righteousness not legalism not pretending to know what's in someone's heart it's a matter of simply recognizing that the lord's teaching tells us there are going to be lots of people who are not genuine Jesus is telling us that we should expect to find, both in this life and in the life to come, that many who identify with Jesus do not actually know him at all. And for many people, it's all been a pretense. And maybe they've even deluded themselves into some kind of security that they have no right to. Moreover, the fact that there is such a thing as a false professor should lead us all to examine ourselves. Even as I say that, I recognize there are some sensitive consciences. You don't need to say much at all. They can talk themselves out, very quickly, talk themselves out of being a Christian. The evidence file of things against me is always going to be so great, right? And there are some people who need to really be encouraged. No, brother, sister, I see fruit in you. I see obedience to Jesus. I see the fruits of the Spirit. I see that you're living in accord with His teaching. I see love for the Lord's people, love for His church, and I recognize that some people do not need to be encouraged toward looking at how they live in order to discern whether or not they're Christians, at least not in the moment. But I think the danger is far on the other side. I think our culture is basically allergic to serious spiritual introspection. Uh, We just do not cultivate much conversation in our inner world and discernment of our actual motives an analysis of our actual life. I don't think it's wrong, brothers and sisters, based on this text, to look inward and to say, am I a faker? We're going to see in a minute you don't have to be really left in doubt about that. There's ways that can be discerned. And I trust and hope for most of us will say, no, I, I think I really do love Christ. I think I really am following Him. I'm not living in Lawlessness. I don't want to live in righteousness and I'm seeking to follow the narrow way. Oh, that would be the verdict for all those who are true Christians. But it's not a bad thing as some of our brethren have done in this church. At some point, a text like this came to them and they realized, you know what? I have been pretending. I'm not living like a Christian. And it was the means through which they were awakened and enlightened and they were saved. The real thing actually did take place in them. And all the faking before was washed away in true and genuine and real Christianity. No, wait, we should examine ourselves. It's not antithetical to gospel Christianity to examine our own hearts, and I think this text can function as a cause to self-examination. All right, second observation. Again, I'll move more quickly. False professors are exposed, note this, not chiefly by what they say, but by what they do or don't do. False professors are exposed not chiefly by what they say, like, I'm a Christian, In Christ alone my hope is found. Raising their hands in worship. Wearing their Sunday best. Going to the Christian group on Sunday night. False professors are exposed not chiefly by what they say, but by what they do or don't do. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven verse 23 and then I will declare to them false professors I never knew you depart from me what you workers of lawlessness lawless people not genuine followers of Christ those who do the will of my father in heaven oh they are they are the ones who I know what is the truest clearest sign that one is a Christian it is not what one says It's not if he professes to be a Christian. It's not that someone participates in seemingly spiritual communities or events. It's not that one is highly public about their attachment to Jesus. No, the truest, clearest proof that one is a Christian, a follower of Christ, is obedience to the will of Jesus. How do you know whether or not someone is a Christian? The simplest way is to examine their lives. Do they, over the long haul, make it their pattern and practice to obey Jesus' commands? Or do they, over time, make it their pattern and practice to ignore, evade, and disobey Jesus' commands? Not perfect obedience, but they're seeking to follow in His way. They're seeking to walk in repentance. They're seeking to walk in the righteous path. Not living in lawlessness and rebellion and disobedience to the lord jesus jesus is saying it plainly here if you don't obey me make it your practice to do my will to follow in my commands you are not my disciple my disciples will be known by their obedience in the upper room in john's gospel jesus will say if you love me keep my commandments in other words commandment keeping will flow out of genuine love For the Lord Jesus, not as the root, but the fruit. Obedience doesn't get us into the kingdom. But if we are born again and are members of the kingdom, we will obey the Lord who we profess to love. You see the sarcasm and irony here almost. Lord, Lord. Jesus is Lord of my life, living in lawlessness. No, he's not. You're a faker. You're a pretender. Don't call Jesus Lord if you are a lawless man. An immoral woman. You're not living according to his commands. No, no. But those who can truly make a claim to know Jesus the Lord. Are those who are doing his will. Living and keeping with his commands. As those who through faith have been saved. And have trusted in Jesus Christ. We should all settle this in our minds. The true profession of faith is vindicated by a life lived in obedience obedience to Jesus friends Jesus is saying who we are and what we are will be revealed maybe not in this life the revelation and exposure here happens at the last day there you might have faked out everybody done a successful juke move around your parents and your friends and other Christian people you can't juke Jesus you can't fake before him he sees the heart he knows who we are. We can't pull the wool over his eyes. It will be exposed on the last day. Were we those who, by faith and joyful love for our Lord, obeyed his commands? Or were we those who lived our lives in lawlessness and disobedience? A third and final observation. Well, I've already sort of gone to this point, led to this point. False professors will be finally exposed. And we'll be finally judged. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? By the way, I think that they really did do those things. I think they prophesied in Jesus' name, they professed to cast out demons and do these spiritual wonders and things like that. Jesus isn't impressed with that. Could you obey me? Did you follow my will? And he says, verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How terrifying. I think that some of these people were genuinely self-deceived. Thought they were good. With Jesus, because they were around certain spiritual communities, participated in certain spiritual events, engaged, and even participated in maybe particular spiritual works or activities. But they didn't love the Lord, they didn't obey the Lord, they didn't actually know Him as their Lord. Maybe they were successful at fooling everyone around them but they were deceived and they they didn't know him friends on judgment day the outward facade for so many will crumble it will be folded up like a circus tent I just appeal if there's anyone here this morning I have no one in mind we have I think 205 members in this church and I hope to the best of my judgment each one trusting in Christ and following the Lord I don't know your hearts but the Lord does if you're living a double life we're living in sin and lawlessness we're inconsistent with the truth as Jesus has taught it to us if you're professing here in song and in our corporate readings Jesus is Lord but your life doesn't show that forth at all Receive this text as a warning to you. How good would it be if, in grace and mercy, Christ exposes that hypocrisy now and not then? Then there will be no opportunity for repentance. But now there is. Now you may be saved from faking, from hypocrisy from lawlessness, from sin. Jesus will receive even those who have pretended to be attached to him, but clearly were not. He's willing to expose that in your life. And after exposing it, receiving you in repentance and faith. Your past career in faking it does not disqualify you from a real relationship with Jesus. Jesus and again we've had brothers and sisters here in the church when they've read their testimonies for baptism will say i thought i was a christian for years but you know what i was sleeping around with whoever i wanted to sleep with i was living in bitterness toward everybody around me i was high on my own supply living for my ego and my pride i didn't know the lord and at some point that was exposed and I came to know him for real. In all of his love for sinners, in all of his mighty lordship, in all of his sweet teaching, I was taught the way. And I was saved from my sins, and I became a real follower of Jesus. Oh, my friend, if you've been faking it, come to Jesus this morning. Embrace him. Embrace the conviction this passage brings. And just tell him, I want a real relationship with you. No more faking. No more pretending. No more seeming. I want to be the real thing. I want to know you. I want to be honest with you. I want to repent to you. I want to walk by faith as your disciple. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know how many people are in this room this morning. You know them all. You made them all. You brought them all here in your providence and in your sovereignty. Lord, we pray that no one here would ever hear these words from the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would save us all. We pray that we would know you for real. That each one would walk in true repentance. In real faith. That they would know you. Your son, the Lord Jesus. That each one of us would not live in lawlessness and in the flesh. But in obedience to the Lord. That we all walk with him in truth. And know something of deep, authentic, abiding experience of real relationship with the Lord Jesus. Save our souls. Help us to walk in the narrow way. Help us to live as citizens of your kingdom. Help us to know the blessed path. The path of righteousness. The path of salvation that leads to everlasting life. Do this for us, each one, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.